Amen. Thanks, John. And uh, especially to say thank you to John just for your leadership of our church during this interim time and especially just leading us in prayer this morning. These are days when uh, we need to make prayer a strong focus of our Christian lives. And so thank you for leading us in that. Well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to worship together with you as we grow together as disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's a great pleasure for me, especially on this day when we're commissioning Sean and Abby to be able to open God's Word together with us. We're continuing today in a series that we call Faithful uh, from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We're learning from the lives of men and women of faith in the Bible. As John uh, mentioned and alluded to some of the events that have been going on these last few weeks in our world, it's been a crazy few weeks. Every time I open my Google app, there's some new thing that's happened that's shocking. From a few weeks ago, there was a bombing at an airport in Istanbul, Turkey, and then they had an attempted coup. If you've been following in South Sudan, um, the war there seems to be revving back up again. 20,000 refugees coming from Juba down into Uganda again, and that's going on. Uh, shootings in southern France, and we just a few days ago heard of shootings in Munich, Germany. A, a lot of chaos going on around the world, but also in our own country. Uh, violence happening um, all across the country. Um, and so it's a, these are different, different times. They're difficult times. The past two weeks I was in Uganda and in Burundi, and I confess that every time that I get on an airplane, there's this little twinge of fear that comes inside me, and I think, should I be traveling in these days? Should I be going through these airports? What's going to happen? And I was uh, in the bank a few weeks ago and getting some cash out, getting ready to go on a trip, and I was talking with a lady there, and just that was in line, and we were talking about the 4th of July and what we're going to be doing on the 4th, and, and I shared a little bit about what I was doing, and she said, oh, I'm not going anywhere for the 4th because the only safe place to be in the world is inside my home. And I thought, whoa. Am I doing the right thing by doing all this, wandering all over the world? But it's not just the threat of violence. It's not just the threat of um, political uncertainty that we're facing right now. Um, there's also things in our personal lives that cause us to be insecure, that can cause us to be fearful, and can cause us to hold back. Um, things like loss of work, and I know many in our congregation are struggling with that challenge, or loss of health. Um, or it may just be things like comparing ourselves with each other, and, and I compare myself with someone else, and I can't talk like that person, or I can't um, do the things that that person can do. We may have insecurities about what we look like um, and how we interact with people. And in these days, as our culture increasingly is op opposed to what it labels as intolerance, we become more and more afraid in our Christian lives to share our values and to share our faith openly in public. So whether it's our environment, whether it's our culture, or just it's the internal insecurities that we just have and we carry around in our own lives, um, we find ourselves more and more wanting to pull back and to seek safety and security in our lives instead of moving out into the world to represent Christ to the world. Well, we're in Hebrews 11, and and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, just the very first, the very previous verse before Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says this, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their, and preserve their souls. 
This morning in chapter 11 of Hebrews, I think it's appropriate that we're looking at the life of Moses. And we read about Moses, who is a man of faith, that's able to overcome these incredible insecurities that he had in his own life and to move to a position of courage in the Lord and is able to lead his people from slavery into freedom. So let's turn in our Bibles together and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and read verse 23 to 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray together. Our Father, we um, come to you in this day when there are lots of insecurities in the world and insecurities in our own lives and hearts as well. And Lord God, we thank you for this example of Moses. And we pray now that by your Holy Spirit and through your word, that you would teach us, that you would help us to understand what it means to have fearless faith. Um, how do we get that? Where does that come from? And Lord God, that you would do a new work in our, in our lives, a work of making us into men and women of courage. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Moses comes from a heritage of people with fearless faith. And the first scripture in this, or the first verse in this passage that we read, um, we're reading about his parents. And so the writer of Hebrews is actually, before he tells us about Moses' life, he takes us back a little bit in time to the people that preceded Moses. If we go back to Exodus chapter 1, we read about um, how the people of Israel, the Hebrews, were living in Egypt, um, and they had become, they, God was blessing them, they were multiplying um, they were doing well in the land, and the Pharaoh became worried that they were going to become so many people that they were going to take over the country. And so he began to oppress them, even to the point of initiating what virtually became a genocide against them. He ordered the Hebrew midwives that when they delivered the Hebrew children, that if they were a male, they were required to kill that male child. And so they're living under this pressure and under this law um, and Exodus chapter 1, verse 17 says, The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So we have this tremendous example of them standing up for God because they understood who they were and not living in fear of the king. And then the writer of Hebrews talks about Moses' parents. He said they're Levites, they're Hebrews as well. And it says that they hid him for three months um, until they couldn't keep him quiet any longer, I guess. And so they um, needed to do something with this baby that was now playing and making noise. And so um, they, they made a little basket for him, as you know the story in Exodus chapter 2. And um, they put him in the basket down in the reeds by the river, probably hoping that 
Pharaoh, somebody from Pharaoh's court would come along and find him and maybe have compassion on him. And that's exactly what did. And Pharaoh's daughter discovered Moses there in the basket um, and took him in as her son. And so Hebrews eleven twenty three says, They saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Speaking of his parents, they saw that this child had value. This was a real person. I'm not sure that Moses necessarily was a, the most beautiful baby in the world. Anytime you see a baby, you say, oh, what a pretty baby. Um, and so maybe that's what the writer of Hebrews was saying. But they, his parents loved him, and they thought they were beautiful. But the point is that they valued him. They valued his life. And they were not afraid of the king and his edict. And so they preserved his life and they hung on to him and they trusted God to provide for him. So both the midwives and Moses' parents understood that first and foremost, they were Hebrews. They were Israelites. They were part of God's people. They were descendants of Abraham who feared and worshipped the God of Abraham rather than the king. And their clear, singular identification with God as his people gave them the courage for them to live for him in a hostile culture. So that's the example of the midwives and Moses' parents. But then when we move into Moses' story, we get a little different picture of Moses. Moses, for much of his early life, seemed to wrestle with self-doubt, with insecurity, and with fear. And most of us, if we think back on the stories of Moses, we see him as this fearless leader, this um, charging through the Red Sea kind of leader with a, a million people following behind him, and he strikes the rock in the wilderness, and out comes the water, and he brings the stone tablets down, and he, and he rebukes the people for worshiping other idols, and he throws down the tablets. You see this strong kind of leader in him, but actually that's not how Moses started out. It seems like that he started out lacking confidence, being gripped by fear, and that this motivated a lot of the things that he did in his early life. So I think the question for us then is, well, where did this insecurity come from in his own life, and how did he move from this insecurity to boldness and fearlessness and faith in God? And the same question is for us. How do we move from a position of feeling insecure and fearful, not only about the world, but about the stuff that's inside us and going on in our own lives, how can we move towards fearless faith? Well, there's evidence that Moses, from early on, actually understood that he was an Israelite. Um, a lot of the Hollywood movies tend to portray that it wasn't until Moses got older, and he sort of had this weird sense that he came from somewhere else, and he finally figured out that he was an Israelite, and that's where, that's where he got everything started. But it, it, there's evidence that Moses actually, from very early on in his life, he knew he was an Israelite. A couple of things. One, he was raised by his parents for a period of time. Even when he lived, became Pharaoh's daughter's son, um, his mother took care of him for a while. So he, there's likely that he had a, some remembrance of that time. His name means to draw out of the water. And so it's likely also that he had heard the story about how he had come from this other family and had been drawn out by by Pharaoh's daughter out of the water. And then third, he was in his home long enough that he was probably circumcised. So every time he changed his clothes, he realized that he was a Hebrew. He was a, he was a Jew. And so he knew his heritage. He knew who he was. And yet he was living with these two conflicting identities. Um, he, am I a, a Jewish son of, of slaves 
or am I the son of a, uh, of a ruler, of a princess? Am I a privileged person in society? Who exactly Anna, am I? And so the Hebrews talks about that when he became older, then he went out to his people. And so he began to explore who he really was, and he began to try to identify with the people that he had come from. And when he did that, there were, because there was still this insecurity going on inside him, he wasn't sure who he was, things didn't go so well uh, for him. The first time he goes out and there's uh, an Egyptian and he's persecuting a, a, an Israelite and he's, um, and he's giving him a hard time. And so uh, just in his own strength, he says, okay, I'm going to stand with my people. And so he jumps in the middle of it and he actually ends up killing the, the Egyptian guy and then he hides his body from him and that didn't go so well. And then the next day, he's got two of his brothers, Israelites, that are fighting with each other. And he says, oh, let me come in here and see if I can help you guys. And they say, what are you going to do? Are you one of us? Are you going you're to kill one of us just like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And so it became known that he had killed this Egyptian. It became known to Pharaoh. Pharaoh sought to, to kill him, to seek his life. And so Moses ends up having to flee to Midian, to the desert, to hide from Pharaoh in fear and insecurity. And then when he gets to Midian um, and he meets the people of Midian, he doesn't identify himself as a Hebrew. He identifies himself as an Egyptian. They refer to him as Moses the Egyptian. And so he's not really um, being clear about who he is with them. And then he has his first son, and, he, and his first son he names Gershom. And Gershom means, uh, I'm a man without a people or a country. I don't know where I belong. I don't know who I am. And then finally, he has a second son, and we learn later that Moses actually doesn't circumcise either of his sons when they're on the eighth day when they were supposed to. Um, and so he doesn't even identify his sons as Hebrew. So you, you see early in his life, he's got this conflicted, who am I and what am I supposed to be doing? He's reluctant to accept his true God-given identity. And as a result, he's living in fear and insecurity, he's without a people, and he's without a purpose. And then an event takes place that changes Moses' life forever. Moses meets God. So you know the story. Moses is out in the wilderness, and he sees this bush that's burning that doesn't seem to be consumed, and he draws near, and God begins to speak to Moses out of the burning bush. And in Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, and then in verse 10, God says this to Moses, I am the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God is saying to Moses, Moses, you are an Israelite. And I am the eternal God of the Israelites. And I'm sending you back to deliver my people and to deliver your people. And so you would expect that when God gives him this command, this charge, that Moses just responds naturally out of his insecurity. Um, and he starts throwing up all kinds of questions to God and excuses. And so in verse 11, verse 13, he says, well, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? 
And then he throws up some more excuses. He said, and, and anyways, I'm not a very good speaker, and I'm not good at communicating, and so please, will you just find somebody else to go do this job? Moses is totally fixated on his own self-image, his mixed-up identity, and his perceived inadequacies. And then God answers him. And what does God say to him? He says, Moses, I am who I am. I am is sending you back to Egypt. And the name that God uses for himself, Yahweh, is a Hebrew word that has the idea of eternal creator God. Moses is saying to, or God is saying to Moses, I'm the eternal sustainer of life in all of creation. I am is, is giving you your identity and I'm sending you back to, to Egypt. God is saying to Moses, Moses, don't worry about who you are. Yes, you're inadequate. Yes, you had a mixed up childhood. Yes, you come from a, a challenged background. Yes, you've got lots of problems. Yes, you've done some things wrong. But your identity now comes from me. The eternal creator God who's the, in control of this universe. So Moses, it's not about you. It's about me. So quit vacillating between am I a Hebrew, am I an Egyptian, and decide that you're going to be who I made you to be. With all of your weaknesses, with all of your flaws, quit looking at yourself. Look at me. Worship me. Trust me. Serve me. And I will give you everything that you need to do the work that I've called you to do. And so... Moses begins to find his identity and his courage in God. And the thing that he does that's key in all of this is that he submits himself to God's sovereign control over his life. And he accepts that it's not about him. It's about the God of the universe. And then he finds the faith to go back to Egypt and to confront Pharaoh. Well, the apostle Peter addresses pe people who are going through a challenge as well and are being persecuted for their faith. And in 1 Peter 3.14, he says this word of encouragement to them. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What Peter is saying is, is that the source of our confidence, the source of our courage to overcome fear in the midst of opposition, in the midst of trials, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of things that we don't know how they're going to turn out, is to honor Christ the Lord as holy. He says, do it with gentleness and respect, which is a great reminder for us in how we confront the issues of our day here as well, and we talk to other people around it about it. Do it with gentleness and respect. But the source of that courage and confidence that God gives us is not in who we are or our opinions, but the source of that is in who God is and honoring Christ the Lord as holy. The NIV says this way, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And that word means to consecrate or to dedicate or to submit our hearts to Jesus as our Lord. That's the source. That's the secret overcoming fear. So when we fully submit ourselves to Jesus, when we lay aside our self-focus, 
who the culture says we should be, who we think we are, and we stop and we say, I'm a follower of Christ, full stop. That's who I am. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm defined by who Christ is in my life and nothing else. He alone is my Savior. He alone is my Lord. He alone is my provider. He alone is my protector. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the sovereign God, the creator God of the universe, then we begin to find this freedom from our insecurities, from our ambiguities about who we are, from our fears, and we develop the confidence to do the work that he's given us to do. When we fully submit ourselves to Jesus, he takes away our fears. Before we move on to the next part of Moses' life, let me just say just that in our culture these days, um, the, the cultural pressure on us as Christians is trying to do one of two things, either to obscure and confuse our identity, who we are and how God has made us. For example, who are we as parents and what's our role as Christian parents? Um, who are we as spouses and our roles together and how we interact with each other? To confuse even our sexuality and these days, the th- big thing that's on the agenda is to confuse our, even our gender. Who are we as male and female? Or on the other hand, our culture is trying to heighten the distinctions between our identities. Um, I was in Burundi and just listening to the, their history. and They went through a, a little bit smaller genocide than Rwanda did. And it was the Tutsis versus the Hutus. And they, they tried to wipe each other out. And it was purely because of this distinction between their ethnicities and we see the same thing that same tension trying to grow and boil here black versus white or it could be political differences of conservative versus democrat or liberal or whatever Um, but the point is and i think that we learn from moses is that it's god alone who defines our identity he's the one that tells us who we are and how we should live it's not our culture Um, it's not about how we feel inside about ourselves that defines us It's not our political agendas and looking at the world through a certain political lens. We've got to take those lenses off and we've got to be able to put on a kingdom lens and say, who is God and how does he define our world and how we should live in it? And we get that from what he says about us in his word. Well, as Moses finds his identity in God and he submits to him, he gains the courage then to make some very difficult choices. So in Hebrews 11... Uh, Verse 24 to 26, he goes on and and the writer shares some of these challenging choices that Moses has to make. First, he chooses mistreatment with God's people rather than being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter or enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. I think what, what they're saying here is that Moses had to make a decision. Do I enjoy the good life here in Egypt? Do I enjoy position and privilege and all the opportunities that come with living here in Egypt, or do I set that all aside, and do I choose to be with the people of God and to endure mistreatment and struggle with, with God's people? And he makes that choice, and he joins the people of God on the mission that God gave him. He also made a choice that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. So Moses has to make a decision. Am I going to invest in today's benefit for me, or am I going to invest in an eternal reward that's waiting for me? And that reward comes from taking on the reproaches of Christ, meaning the same things that Christ suffered for us, Moses had to take that on as well. Um, Loss of family, loss of a home, 
criticism, um, being pursued, even to the point of death. And Moses made that decision, and he chose the eternal things over the temporal. And then the other choice he had to make was he said that he feared who, him who is invisible, who he could not see with his eyes, meaning God, rather than fearing Pharaoh, this, this power that was right in front of him that he could see. Moses chose the, um, the invisible over what he could see right in front of his eyes. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what do we learn from this? When we fully submit ourselves to, to Jesus then we begin to make new choices. We choose what's eternal over what's temporal. We choose what honors Christ over what honors ourselves or pleases ourselves. And I think the important one here is that we choose to invest in people rather than investing in things. We choose people over things. So two points so far that we learn from Moses. When we fully submit ourselves to God, He frees us from our fears and insecurities. Second, when we fully submit ourselves to God, then we begin to make new choices that are eternal and that are people-oriented. And finally, as Moses fully submits himself to God, then he gains the courage to embrace a new vision that God gives him. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven and 28 um, says that Moses... Um, Because he didn't fear Pharaoh, because he feared God, what did he do? He left Egypt, and he embraces this commission that God has given him to go back to Egypt, to bring his people out. And so in subsequent verses and subsequent chapters in Exodus, we see Moses leading about a million people, this crazy mission that God's given him, out into the desert, across the Sinai Peninsula, and towards the Promised Land where God desires to bless them and to make them a people, to make them a free people who worship the, the one God, Yahweh, and then through that nation to be a blessing to all the other nations around them. And so Moses embraces that new mission. And it's a crazy task. And I, I don't know if some of us are thinking about the tasks that, that God's given us to do. And, and some of the things that he asks us to do are crazy. They're just, you can't, you can't understand how we can possibly do that. But because Moses no longer is fearful, he's no longer insecure, he's made these choices, then he's able to step out into that impossible task. The second thing that Moses does is he keeps the Passover. Um, We're familiar with the Passover um, as the the last plague or the last judgment that God uh, is going to bring on the Egyptians in order to to free his people and, and to break Pharaoh's will over the people. God promises and, and warns them that he's going to come and he's going to kill the firstborn in every household, Egyptian household, Jewish household, every household. Um, but the way to be delivered from death, the way to be delivered from that judgment is to take the blood of an unblemished lamb and to paint it on the doorposts of the house. And the family that enters into that house and sits under the blood of that unblemished lamb Uh, The Bible says the destroyer, who is God, the one who's coming with judgment, will pass over that house, and that house won't be judged. 
And so the Israelites were saved through this by celebrating the Passover, by keeping the Passover, and the, the Egyptians were, were judged because of that. And God uses that to break the backbone of, of Pharaoh and to cause him to release the people of Israel from bondage. And in Moses keeping the Passover, he's proclaiming the Passover to you and me as well, that we celebrate the Passover lamb, that Jesus, who was the lamb of God, the pure, the unblemished son of God, who had no guilt, that his blood spilled for us when it's painted on the cross and when we sit at the foot of the cross, when we put ourselves under the blood, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, then God delivers us from the destroyer as well. He delivers us from the judgment that's due to us. And so Moses is proclaiming this. His mission is to us as well, that we can be delivered from our spiritual bondage and judgment by being under the blood of the Passover lamb. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. This is one of my favorite scriptures in, in all the New Testament. Paul says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, Passover lamb, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So when we fully submit ourselves to Jesus and we place our faith in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, then God reconciles us to himself, and then he gives us a message of reconciliation, a mission of being ambassadors to God and to others in the world. So when we submit ourselves to Christ, he delivers us from our insecurities and fears. He gives us new choices to make, and he gives us a new mission. If I can just briefly share just a, a story just from my own life, uh, just a simple story, but that kind of illustrates wrestling through some of these processes myself. Um, one of my fears, I, we, I got a lot of fears, um, standing up here is one of them, um, but one of my fears is just communication in general. Um, I'm just an introvert, and um, I can go for a long time without talking. When I was a kid, um, I could go for two weeks without saying anything to anybody in my family, and it used to drive my family crazy, and I was fine with that. Um, it just, I wasn't secure with, with talking and communicating. So when I'm traveling on a plane, which I do a lot, I don't know if it's like you when you travel on a plane, you sit down next to these people, and it's like, uh, do I have to talk to the person next to me? Uh, what do I say to them, and how do I get started? And uh, I would just really rather just be quiet and work on my computer or put on my headphones and watch a movie and whatever. But I know that sitting next to me, beside me, God might, may have placed someone who either has never heard the gospel before, or this may be their only chance to hear it. Um, and so I know that God wants me to use me in some way in that person's life. But I'm struggling with it. And so what's, what's helped me is before I get on a plane, I just say, Lord, you know me. I'm tired. I don't really want to talk to anybody. Um, I just want to be quiet. But if you want me to talk to the person next to me, then open up the opportunity and I'm willing to do it. But you got to do it. you got to help me do it. And so I, I often will pray that, pray that prayer. And so I figure if God wants me to do it, he'll, he'll open up the opportunity. So last week, as I was coming back from Burundi, I was sitting on a, plane, uh, on a plane next to a guy, an Asian guy, and I thought, well, he doesn't speak English, so whew, I'm off the hook there. I don't need to talk to him. 
So I watched one movie, and I enjoyed that, and I was just about to get into another one. Sometimes you kind of movie binge when, you get, when you're traveling home. I was just about to watch another one, and actually I saw him speaking in English to the flight attendant. I thought, oh, shoot, he speaks English, so I, I need to be able to communicate. Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, I know what you want me to do. I want you, you, know, you want me to talk to the guy, and I don't know where you want me to go with this. I don't know how to do it, but okay. So I made the decision to take off my earphones and set them aside, and I turned to him, and I said, hey, how are you? And we just started talking. And we talked for about an hour and a half, and just one thing led to another, led to another. As it turns out, he's from the Philippines. He was headed to Mexico uh, to do some work. He was going to be away from his family for about six weeks. Um, He's from a Christian background, but not really a believer in Christ. Um, Didn't read a Bible. And so I just pulled out my, um, well, my phone, my phone, and then just started showing him how I have my own personal devotions every day. And I showed him my journal and how I write in my journal and just encouraged him to maybe do the same thing these six weeks while he's away from his family and that that might encourage him while he's there. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that is so cool. I want to do that. And it wasn't like, you know, he became a Christian or anything, but God gave me a mission to do on that plane. But he gave me the mission when I was willing to make the choice to take off the earphones and invest in people rather than things. And I was only able to do that when I got over my own insecurities. And the only way I was able to do that was by submitting to the Lord and saying, look, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you and what you want for me. So how can we develop fearless faith like Moses? Just a few things real quickly and and we'll we'll finish. First, identify your fears. Um, What makes you insecure? What, What are you struggling with right now? that has you fearful or struggling. Um, Name them. Tell them to someone. Get it out in the open. Oftentimes, just telling someone about our fears and our challenges and asking them to pray with us about that helps make those fears not seem quite so big. Second, fully submit yourself to Jesus. Fully submit yourself to Jesus. When you face an uncertain situation, you're tempted to withdraw. You're tempted to feel insecure, and to hold back, tell yourself, I'm a follower of Jesus, the King of the universe. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's not what I want, but about what He wants. I can't do it, but He can do it. When we begin to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus, who's the sovereign Lord and provider for our lives, then our fears and our insecurities begin to fade. Third, do scary hard things with a friend. Do scary hard things with a friend. Don't, don't do them by yourself. Moses asked God for a friend. He asked for Aaron to help him or someone to help him. And God gave him Aaron. Ask God to give you a friend. Whatever challenge you're going through, don't go through it by yourself. Ask God to give you a friend to do it with you, to encourage you. And fourth, when faced with choices, take the time to ask yourself this question. What is in the best long-term interest of the people that God's given me to serve? What's in the best long-term interest of the people that God's given me to to serve? When we ask that question, we get our focus off of the short-term and onto the long-term. We get our focus off of the things around us and ourselves and onto the people that are around us. And then fifth, stay focused on your mission. Stay focused on your mission. And just one of the wonderful things for Amanda and me about being a part of Tomball Bible Church is so many people, so many of you are involved in incredible things, whether it's raising up godly families, whether it's trying to put back together broken homes, whether it's 
um, reaching out into the lives of young people and discipling them, whether it's reaching out to neighbors um, who don't know the Lord, whether it's serving and supporting your spouse that's going through a difficult time, whether it's taking Jesus to people in the city or other countries around the world, God is using you all to do some amazing things. He's given each of us a mission. He's given each of us a specific thing in his kingdom that, he's, that he wants us to do. And I'm just so encouraged by all that, that you guys are doing. And I just want to bless you and just say thank you. But I also want to encourage you to stay focused in it. Know what that mission is. Be clear about it and stay with it. Because sometimes when we get tired, um, when we maybe don't see the fruit or the change that we're looking for, it's easy to start wanting to pull back and to become insecure about it. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing it the right way? And then we just let fear take over. We need to keep adjusting ourselves and get our focus back on our mission and what God's called us to do and ask God to give us the courage to keep going. Well, here at the close, I just wanted to say just a few words today. As we're commissioning Sean and Abby's suit, um, they're near and dear friends of Ramonda and me and our family, um, as we're commissioning them as missionaries to Kenya. And, and I just want to take a second just to talk about their journey to fearless faith. Um, what you guys are doing, uh, working with sports friends in, in Kenya, working with coaches and developing them as they reach out to kids that are in some of the most insecure places in the world, in eastern Kenya, even in Nairobi, um, not to create a lot of fear in the family there, but um, there's, there's some big challenges there. But God has, has raised them up to become fearless to step into that challenge. Um, and how did, how did he do that? What was that journey like for them? Ramon and I remember back when they were just starting at TBC and they were just a, a married couple, um, just trying to figure out marriage and insecure about that. You know, how do you relate in marriage? And how do you reach out to kids and, and, and disciple them in the Lord? And then I remember talking with Sean. We were fishing one time. How do you work with parents and try to engage parents and other people in discipling kids? And that was a big challenge. How do you, how do you work on a staff with, a, with other people on a team? All of those insecurities. But Sean and Abby, as you submitted yourselves to the Lord and became learners and you wanted to do things the way God showed you to do it, then God began to give you confidence and courage and a pathway to do that um, and an influence um, in the lives of those kids and at TBC. And then some choices came along that you had to make. There, there were some opportunities to move on to bigger and better things, and yet you made that clear choice to invest in those kids over a long enough period of time to see them raised up in the Lord and to see them discipling and raising up other kids. And you made that, that clear choice to do that. And then um, a few years ago, we were in Ethiopia together, and you guys were wrestling with you know, maybe God's call, calling us to leave our home and all this and to go overseas and to uh, get involved in cross-cultural missions. And we remember, you know, back in those early days, it was kind of the idea that this might be a neat opportunity to, you know, for our kids to grow up in a different culture and have a neat experience um, and uh, it could be good for our family. Um, but we saw that as you really began to seek the heart of God, then the desire that Christ had to reach those kids in Kenya and his heart for the lost in that part of the world became your heart. And you began to, to take on this courageous faith um, to step out and do that. And so we've just been able to see how God has brought you along 
as you've demonstrated submission to Christ and his desire for you, as you've made some eternal choices for him, and then as you've stepped out into a clear mission that God's given you to do, that he's prepared you for that and that you're ready to do that. And so just we're proud of you. We're proud of you as, uh, as, a, as individuals. We're proud of you as a church. And we're confident that God is going to do some amazing things to deliver many people from... deliver many people from bondage. So let me ask us, what is the brave thing that God is asking us to do? What is he asking you to do, which might produce uncertainty or fear in your life? In the beginning of the service, we sang two songs. We sang, Great Are You, Lord, and we sang, You Make Me Brave. When we focus on the greatness of our God and our focus gets off of ourselves and onto the greatness of God, then he makes us brave. He makes us confident to do the things that he's given us to do, to serve him in this uncertain world with fearless faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are Yahweh. You are the eternal creator God of the universe. And thank you for the privilege of knowing you, being related to you through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that it's not about us, it's about you and your work in the world. Give us courage, we pray. Help us to make those decisions that are long-term and that are people-oriented. And Lord God, give us clarity about the mission you've given us to do and give us courage to stick with that. We thank you for the life of Moses and for your instructions to us in, in your word today. In Christ's name, amen.